Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Atta. A word you can impress your friends with. Uh, A-T, if you were into impressing people. Uh, you know, we know we're beyond that, but... Um, um, A-T-A-M-M-A-T-A-Y-A. Atamayata. Which Ajahn Buddhadasa called the highest word in Buddhism, the final word in Buddhism, the final sword of Buddhism. Uh, and I'm going to be actually uh, talking a bit about this on the uh, that CDL uh, DPP day long. Not exclusively. We're going to just uh, um, go into it some, and then also go into another topic uh, on Saturday. But uh, in preparation for that day long, I I wanted to to really uh, explore for myself in depth just uh, what this word is about. And I was inspired to. Um, get into it. Where are those books? Oh, here. Um, Sally Armstrong uh, and I uh, are leading this day, and we are, have both been inspired by uh, this book, which I highly recommend, which you can download uh, online, called The Island. Um, the subtitle, An Anthology of the Buddha's Teachings on Nibbana. Uh, put together by Ajahn Pasano and Ajahn Amaro, which uh, two teachers many of you are familiar with. And it is a compendium of um, all the, um, or some of the, the most inspiring teachings and done in, presented in a very systematic way, just what Nibbana is, how to, um, what the Buddha said about it, and um, how to approach it so that it makes some sense. This is not a beginning book, but um, if, you're, if you've been around practice and you take it slowly, uh, it's a really good book. Uh, I, when I sat, I sat for the month of December uh, at the Forest Refuge, and this was the one book that I, I hung out with. I'd, there aren't that many Dharma talks, but uh, each evening uh, I either listen to this or I read this or listen to Brian Swim. That was the other, my other uh, uh, Dharma hit. And there is one chapter on this word, Atamayata. And it got me very interested. Atamayata, unconcoctability. Um, not made of that is another uh, translation. I'll give you a few translations um, as we get into it. Um, the literal, tra- I'll, I'll start with the literal translation, just breaking the word up. Ah, which means not, like ahimsa, nonviolence, or Anatta, not self. Ah is a negative, starts, uh, makes it negative. Tam, 
T-A-M, which is that. Maya, to make, create, fabricate, or produce. And I uh, can't help but think that there must, there's some connection between that word fabricate or uh, to make and Maya being also spoken as that the fabricated physical plane of illusion. It's all Maya. It's all illusion. It's all been fabricated. That's a word that in Hinduism is used a lot. So, Atamaya, not that fabricated, and Ta is a kind of suffix that, that means um, ness, like kindness or loneliness. It's the state of being not made or fabricated. Let's see what the, yeah, that may, the state of not being made up by or made up from that. Okay. Does that clarify it for you? <laughs> you with me? <laughs> There'll hopefully be a few more um, pointers so you, you get the idea. Mm. The the traditional translation this this word appears in a few different places uh, in the uh, in the Pali Canon, uh, and it's traditionally been translated uh, as um, the a- absence of craving, the absence of wrong view that is taking self to be real and permanent, the absence of of mana or the absence of the conceit of I am, all of those really pointing to um, not getting caught in a sense of self or, not, or the absence of craving. That's how it's traditionally been translated. But there's a, a, a deeper kind of understanding. And uh, besides what I got from this chapter um i uh this chapter got a lot from and i went to the source of um a couple of essays by santicaro uh bhikkhu who's come here it's been a while since he's come here he was the main translator for ajahn buddhadasa ajahn buddhadasa was this really incredible uh highly the, probably the most well-known and respected um, Thai um, uh, master from the 20th century. Um, Brilliant, deep scholar, very very skilled teacher who taught lots of Westerners uh, along with Ajahn Chah, uh, was was another great Thai master. Of course, Jack's teacher and Ajahn Sumedha's teacher, Ajahn Amaro's teacher. But uh, if you go to Thailand, you can go to, um, um, what is it? Swanmok is on, uh, I forget exactly where it is. It's kind of like southern, has anybody been to Swanmok here? There's this one center that's Ajahn Buddhadasa Center, Swanmok, that has, if you go to Thailand, uh, ongoing retreats for Westerners coming through. Uh, when people ask, I'm going to Thailand, what should I see, where should I practice? You go to Ajahn Buddhadasa's center, uh, Swanmok, uh, the Garden of Liberation. So he was this incredible, 
brilliant, inspiring master who was also a scholar who went much more deeply into into things than um, uh, he didn't just accept, oh, this is the way it's always been. He, he went into a, a, a much deeper understanding of, of terms that uh, didn't have that in-depth inquiry. Um, and um, he, uh, as looking at this term, the the translation that he came up with is, and this is through Santi Caro putting it in English, um, I ain't going to mess with you anymore. Actually, Santi Caro says, I ain't going to mess with you no more. I, I won't have anything to do with you ever again. And he put it, Buddha Dasa put it in crude street language, spicy street language. He, this is in this essay. He kind of said it in the, in the most vernacular uh, uh, street language of like, you know, I'm not messing with this anymore. And it, to kind of shock people. He was 83 when he came out with this at the time and they thought, wow, Buddha Das is really kind of losing it or out there. But he wanted to, he was very controversial and, and, and wanted to shock people and really wake them up. So um, another way of saying it, another translation, not made of that it's the quality of not being made of anything. Okay, so what am I talking about still? Okay. <clears throat> so, in in some um, in some discourses, the Buddha talks about letting go of coarser habits, mental states for more and more refined mental states. And there's a formula that he often uses. Um, relying this, relying on this, I give up that. So for instance, um, relying on, I, I can give up the pleasure and pain of worldly experience if I can rely on the pleasure and the pain that comes from, say, meditative experience. That's one example. Okay, so we all know about the pleasure and pain that comes from being in the world, right? And it's very tantalizing, the pleasure, and very off-putting the pain, but very seductive, and we get caught again and again and again and again and again. Then you might come to practice and you say, oh, wow, this is, this is going to lead to something really um, helpful, profound, supportive. And there's some pain involved, maybe my knee or my, my butt or my, my body, or my mind looking at all of that stuff. 
And there's some pleasure involved, some really good pleasure of having a heart that opens or a mind that's clear or um, uh, seeing, seeing clearly and, and, and deepening one's understanding and compassion. So at some point, maybe many people here can relate to this, you say, okay, this, even though some of it is uncomfortable and painful even, this kind of pain is worth it. I'll go through this and develop the, the, the goodness that comes from practice and start to let go or give up the, uh, the stuff that comes from worldly experience. Not that you're going to let go of it completely until you're a fully enlightened being you know, or you're living in the world. But there's a kind of shift saying, okay, I'm going to give this up because I can rely on this now. And then... Other examples of this, we'll get to this word in a moment so it'll make some sense. Uh, you, um, you give up, say, in your meditation, uh, getting, getting sucked into your thoughts, if you could only give that up so easily, but you kind of give that up, getting seduced by your thoughts, say, when you start to concentrate the mind. Oh, I can give up that getting sucked into my thoughts when I can rely on uh, refining the mind and getting concentrated. Okay, is it, you're with me so far? Does that make sense? Then there's the development of the seven factors of enlightenment, which we talked about a few months ago. Okay, so there's all of these wonderful factors of enlightenment, investigation and and joy and energy and mindfulness and calm and concentration and, uh, and equanimity. Oh, I'll give up, besides relying on the concentration, I'll give up, I will start to let go of all the confusion in my mind as I develop these awakening factors. Right? It's kind of... It's like the next carrot that comes along. Oh, that's better. I can let go of this because I'll, I'll get this. The one of the, and as we talked about in the seven factors, equanimity is really the highest of those factors. This is leading up to this atamayata. Then it gets to the point, oh, equanimity is really good. You know, when you are completely balanced when you, there's things, you're not ruffled by the vicissitudes of life. But there is still can be a subtle attachment to equanimity. Like, oh, I'm equanimous now. <coughs> How wonderful, yeah. Or, I really like equanimity. And this is where atamayata comes in. In order to give up equanimity, you've got to have a better carrot for that. And the carrot, not, e not even the carrot, the, 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 uh, the payoff is seeing beyond any sense of self of one who is equanimous, 
or any kind of, there's a few different facets to go through this. One, I'm being equanimous. You just kind of got hooked in one, in a subtle way. Or, oh, this state of equanimity is really cool. And atamayata is saying every state, every experience, anything that one can experience, all things that are compounded, that are put together in this world, anything that is fabricated, that has been created out of conditions, is still still has the problem of getting hooked by it. And so when you see equanimity even is a fabricated state, as wonderful as it is, you can give up equanimity for that which is not fabricated, which is really talking about the unconditioned. But in order, the unconditioned or nibbana, nirvana, but in order to give up the equanimity or whatever state it is, it means you have to see that it's all just temporarily created. And there's something beyond that which is temporarily created that's not dependent on anything. So, another way of saying it is no conditioned thing, object, or state can be depended on for true happiness maybe for temporary happiness, definitely. Equanimity is cool, concentration is wonderful, rapture is really nice, you know. But as far as they're undependable for a a, a deeper kind of freedom, and when we see it clearly, when we see how it's all just put together, then we go to a, a, we can access a place that um, is beyond depending on anything to make us happy or safe or free. And we see that nothing is, uh, any, everything is powerless to affect us when we touch that place. So this is talking about a very high level of seeing through the illusion of fabrication, things being fabricated. Um, Now there are a couple of more practical ways to understand this that uh, we can explore here together. When you, you, you don't have to wait until you're just uh, about to be enlightened to use this concept. It can have a much more practical 
application than that. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Maybe in 30 years if I practice diligently or in 10 lifetimes from now, you know, this will make some, have some meaning for me. No, no, no. Don't wait for that. So here's the other way, ways to apply this concept of atamayata. It is basically see, um, understanding that when you see clearly, things lose their pull, the pull that they once had for us. They fall away. They can drop away. Like, for instance, we were just uh, um, teaching together over the weekend, and and, uh, Jane uh, mentioned this about our son, Adam. And maybe you can relate to this. When he was, uh, oh, maybe 15 or so, he really wanted a PlayStation, right? Almost all of his friends had PlayStations, and he was the one that didn't have it. And he he was going to just do anything for that PlayStation. Finally, we we did angle something for him, a big making it a big carrot for something that we knew was going to be good for him, uh, like a Vision Quest which when he went on, that was much more powerful than the PlayStation. But the point is, he got the PlayStation, he finally got it, and he played with it a lot for about a month, I think it was. And after a while, he just kind of said, oh, okay, now I know what a PlayStation is. And he stopped being obsessed with it, thank goodness. Now I know some people can be obsessed with PlayStations, you know, but it was like he just, it lost its pull. Have you had that experience where you said, oh, when I get this, it's going to be so cool, so wonderful, and then you finally get it and it doesn't quite do it for you? Have you had that experience? How many people can think of something like that? Right. Okay. This is understanding on another level, atamayata. I and the one that came to my mind when the 49ers were in their heyday, you know. The thought of missing a 49er game, you know, even even taped, it was, it was hard, you know. I was completely addicted. And even, and when, even during the season, when they finally, if they didn't win the Super Bowl, when they finally got knocked out of the playoffs, there was this great relief. Oh, I can get on with my life <laughs> again. Uh, sports fans might know what uh, I'm talking about. I can get on with my life, thank goodness. Right. When Steve Young retired, I got on my life beyond 49er football. I still watch every now and then. You know, it's certainly in the playoffs, I like watching uh, most professional sports. But that addiction doesn't have its pull anymore. And this is another aspect of Atamayata, where you see 
what had such a compelling grip on you is this temporary coming together of conditions that fascinate us, that seduce us, and then perhaps at some point they lose their pull and we can drop it. In the, the Buddha's story, okay, he, his quest was filled with this atamayata. He was going to go for enlightenment, right? And then he met two different teachers when he was an ascetic for, a few, uh, for six years. Met one teacher who taught him all um, the first uh, seven concentration states, absorption states, jhanas. Very del- sweet and delicious experiences of concentration. And when his first teacher said, "Um, well, come up here and teach with me. And the Buddha-to-be, Siddhartha, said, is this all you got? Is there more? He said, no, this is all I know. And the Buddha and Siddhartha, Gautama, said, no, this isn't quite enough. I I I need to go on for more. It's good but it doesn't quite do it. I, I want to I wanna not get stuck here and seduced here. Then he met another great concentration master who taught him the eighth jhana, <clears throat> neither perception nor non-perception it's called. Very cool also. And again, the same thing happened. Come and teach with me. You've mastered it. And Siddhartha the ascetic said, is this it? Is there, is there any more? And he said, no, this is, this is all I know. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not stopping here. It, it's good, but I, I want to drop it for, for something else because it's, it's going to be temporary. Then he, he dropped, uh, he, he dropped wor- any kind of worldly pleasures and became this incredibly uh, deep ascetic, practically starving himself. Then he, um, he let go of the austerities, okay, and, and took the offering of some, of some sweet rice and his cohorts abandoned him. He said, no, uh, uh, this, the uh, austerities isn't the final way. I've got to keep on going. And then Mara tried to seduce him under the, under the tree and he said, no, I'm not going to be seduced by, by that that nothing was going to stop him because he saw it was all just temporarily put together and it wasn't going to do it. We do this in our own life as well. Think of the, the, maybe the, the inspirations you've had that have made you drop things that don't support your real well-being anymore that make you, uh, hmm, thinking about when I was in my 20s, I won't go into detail, but all the confusion, all the unskillful stuff that I did because I just didn't know, that I, that I cringe now thinking because I'm not that same person, because they don't hold that same sway for me. So that can go with behaviors, 
it can go as saying, no, it's not worth it. It's just very temporary seduction, either of grasping or aggression. And the same with mind states too. When you see that every mind state is just compounded, just put together for a little while doing its dance. When you see a tamayata, the fabrication of it clearly, then you're, you're not as hooked by the mind state, by the mind state of righteous indignation by the mind state of lust and seduction, by the mind state of, um, of laziness, whatever it is, it's, you're, not, you're not seduced by it. You see, oh, I don't, I don't have to be under its sway. This is how Atamiyata really um, has a, a very profound power. Learning how, learning the power of letting go. And particularly around the meditation, in the, uh, I think it's the, the, the Diamond uh, Sutra, where um, the Buddha says, develop a mind that clings to naught. That's what this is talking about. Develop a mind that clings to naught. Or as Joseph Goldstein, my teacher, would say, nothing, for the, pr in, for the purposes of meditation, nothing is worth thinking about. When you really get that nothing is worth thinking about, that's not to say there aren't very important thoughts, but for the purposes of training the mind, nothing is is worth getting hooked by that that true letting go you see mm, the backdrop of what of all those thoughts that are coming and going is untouched by those thoughts on this weekend we were just down at Esalen uh, doing a, a family retreat and um, uh, it was really great. These, uh, who is it? Is Jeff here? Yeah, he was there with his with his son Peter, um, and I uh, I remembered a song that Betsy Rose sings uh, that has touched me. It's been really powerful in my practice. Called "My Mind Is Like a Clear Blue Sky," and this this is kind of for me points to this. What's behind all of those things that hook us? It goes, my mind is like a clear blue sky. My mind is like a clear blue sky. And the rain comes and the rain goes. But my mind is like a clear blue sky. My mind is like a clear blue sky. My mind is like a clear blue sky. And the storm comes and the storm goes. But my mind is like a clear blue sky. And the fog comes, and the fog goes, but my mind is like a clear blue sky. And the sun comes, and the sun goes, but my mind is like a clear blue sky. This is seeing all the things that come and visit us that are temporary 
visitors, I kind of think that the sun is really shining all the time, but behind the clouds. But to see beyond those visitors, that's this atamayata where you're not hooked by these fabricated mind states. And when you really get that, even if you forget, and I can forget, you know, lots, but when you get it, there's a place in you that knows that is home. Oh, I just forgot. I just forgot the spacious, clear, true nature that is who I really am that was obscured by confusion. And then all the stuff that gets kind of generalized, all the stuff that seems so important to you, all the big deals in your life, not to minimize them, not to say, oh, they don't matter. Yeah, they matter. We have loss, we have love, we have all kinds of important things that happen to us on one level of playing the game of being you. But on another level, there's no big deal. It's all going to come and go. And particularly the things that disturb us, that confuse us, that frighten us, most of it, by and large, is mind created. And when you see, oh, this is just a creation of mind, then that big deal that earth-shaking big deal that you don't know if you'll be able to live through is not such a big deal. How many big deals have you had in your life that you didn't know if you'd make it through? That you've made it through? All, you know, each one having its impact in its own way that has shaped your character perhaps, but nothing probably that could not be held in a different context that says, oh, this has been part of my curriculum. This, is, this has not been the end of the world as sad as it was. All of these big deals, when you see with this atamayata, not made of thatness, then there's a kind of freedom that comes with that letting go. So I'd like you just to reflect right now in your life. Close your eyes for a moment. And you might get in touch with a big deal going on in your life or that has gone on in your life. And when I say that, uh, I mean an issue that's really been um, 
a challenge or that you've gotten stuck in, whether it's an external circumstance or an internal reality that somehow you hold or get caught in. And then just for a moment, see what it would be like to apply this atamayata perspective that this as important or significant or as as challenging as it is is just something that's come together because of causes and conditions will go through its own transformation and does not need to change or taint the pure heart and goodness and wisdom that is your true nature. Seeing through the fabrication, the coming together of those conditions, reflecting on impermanence helps you open up to that and just seeing that does not change the clear blue sky of who you are. And in seeing that, just a little bit of loosening of the grip that it might have on you or might have had on you. Going beyond the fabrication to the peace and the love and the wisdom, the space of awareness that can hold it all. And then lastly, just before we close this little exercise, just imagine what it would be like if you could remember when you do get stuck to apply this perspective again. These situations are temporary, part of my learning and don't corrupt or taint the true nature. That is who I am, the Buddha within, the freedom that's possible.
think I'll stop here and we have some time for questions or comments. Mm. One more thing that occurs to me actually, just remembering uh, one of my most inspiring teachers, Punjaji, H.W.L. Uh, Punja, also known as Papaji. And he would, his way of saying Atamayata was, um, no place to land. There's no place to land. I can hear him right now. No place to land. If there's no, if there's no place to land though for those thoughts or that, um, the dilemmas, if there's no place that things get stuck, there's freedom. And that was his way of pointing that out. So any comments, questions, anything? Yeah, here, hold on a second. Here's, oh, are you up there? Thank God for impermanence, yeah. Praise be impermanence, yeah. And that's, that's the good news. Sometimes people get so uh, depressed at the thought of impermanence. The good news is everything that's unpleasant is impermanent just as well as everything that's pleasant. Yeah. And being that, knowing that, more and more embodying that, then you see it's not like you're trying to get to any one final destination where everything is perfect. It's being here for the ride. You're here for the ride. That's what life is about. Not getting to some magical place, which is not going to last anyway, but to really enjoy the ride, and we can enjoy all parts of the ride. At least open up to them uh, with grace. So here, if you could pass that. John, mind you. Mind you. Yeah, you you had mentioned actually just in passing, but I I'm quite curious about it that uh, <coughs> your son wanted a PlayStation. You know, my son wants a PlayStation too. So, um, but I'm wondering, you you held it out as a carrot for you said a vision quest. Um, how did you get your kids involved in this kind of mindfulness or give them these? These uh, impart these skills to them as mm. as they're young. How do, how do you get your kids involved in mindfulness in these? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. How old is your your kid? Well, my oldest is eleven. Eleven. Going on twelve. Yeah. Which is yeah. a um, an energetic age. Yeah. Um, I was just Pre-teen. eleven was by the way the hardest age for me. Four and when Adam was four and eleven, those were the two hardest ages. Um, First, you don't force it. You know, for for quite a while, Adam Adam went to uh, the family program stuff up until he was around eight, eight or nine, and then at some point he said, "Dad, that's your Budaya stuff. You know, keep it to yourself." Right? But I knew that the the seeds were planted in there. But for a while, um, I. Uh, I, the last thing I wanted to do was turn him off. So, and, and it depended, and you know, he had a particular kind of thing to rebel against because here I am 
giving these you know these kinds of talks all the time but um one the more you embody it yourself there's something that's getting through the more you can find your own center there is something very potent seeds that are planted um two if he's at all curious or interested is he at all he is oh then that, then you cuz that's the key the, the, the kids saying okay what is it anyway or let me check it out or maybe there's something here for me um i would go to uh spirit rock website the family program and uh as much as possible go to family days oh that reminds me um the second to second sunday of the month here in the east bay um there's an east bay family sangha um that uh my uh, dear uh friend Alexa Willett leads with Dylan Steinberg and one other person where families come together here but the more that he's exposed to that kind of stuff um then the better there's a couple few really good books um uh if he's interested uh, a book by Diana Winston um Wide Awake a Buddhist guide for teens um there's a book called Raising Happiness by Christine Carter about a lot of these principles in a very practical way um and exposing him a little there's a middle school class that Spirit Rock leads it's up there in Woodacre but um it, it would be worth it that when to go through a middle school series it can change change somebody's life but the most is for for you to embody it and if he's curious to say you know if he's ever interested at all say oh this is how i get um how i get power and control over my mind you know and if you're interested you know i'll share i'll i'll share a little bit with you but let let him beg you to <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah maybe you know we'll see yeah like that and uh have him uh have him just have a a, a taste of it and uh if there's some latent seeds there that, that they'll sprout in their own time well it's it's time to go it's 9:30 so let's close with a a short loving kindness mm mm My mind is like a clear blue sky. Just get a sense of your mind being like a clear blue sky and your heart feeling all the goodness inside that's been gifted to you. And uh, send yourself some kind thoughts. May I feel all the goodness inside and share it well. may i see through confusion to the place of clarity and spaciousness 
compassion and understanding. May I share my love well. And then to extend that out to everyone here and to all beings everywhere, as I want to be happy, may all beings find real happiness. May all see through their fears and confusion to their goodness. May all share their love well. May all see their true nature. Awaken to a liberated heart and mind. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Uh, I'll see you in two weeks next week. Deborah Chamberlain Taylor. I know you'll like her. <laughs>